This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio, taping this on Wednesday, October 12th. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined by my punch drunk predictions partner in crime, Patrick Schwietlinski. Patty, it's been kind of a, an entertaining first couple of days of this week so i thought it made sense for us to jump on here tonight talk about some of the stuff that's going on uh but before we get to that just quick 30 second thoughts on ufc 204 which took place last weekend michael bisping retaining his title nine finishes out of 11 fights not a bad night of fights no not at all i mean uh you know uh it was it was an interesting night to say the least uh the last time you know, I think we'll we'll see Dan Henderson in the octagon. What a great fight that main event was, especially. You know, um, it was a much tougher fight than I think, uh, you know, anybody anticipated for Michael Bisbing. Even Michael Bisbing, you know, will definitely admit that and, and did so after the fight. Uh, it, was, it was a war. I mean, I, I think the right guy won at the end of the night, but... Um, you know, it, it it was a very interesting it was a very interesting fight. Very, um, you know, tough way to go out for Dan Henderson because he got so close. And then, of course, you know, you had the other stories such as you know the uh, the mouthy Gegard Mousasi, <laughs> suddenly talkative Gegard Mousasi, <laughs> coming out of nowhere. So you know, there were a lot of great storylines coming out of that two hundred four card. I thought it was a great night of fights. Uh, you know, what, what What were your thoughts? What were your takeaways from it? Yeah, a lot of the same stuff. I mean, we, we were trying to do a post-fight show, and I apologize to my scheduled guest, Matthew Wells, and all of you that heard me say on Thursday with Chappie that we were going to do a recap show. I got some new equipment. That's why the show sounds better today. But mistakenly, I didn't get it properly set up for Saturday. So we had to push with Matt. We will definitely get him on at another time. But... I thought a lot of the same things you did. I mean, I was, I really enjoyed the main event. I too think the right guy went, right guy won. Kind of a bitter pill to swallow for Hendo to ride off into the sunset on that one, where you were were so close a couple of times and and a close decision. But again, as we said, the right one. But I thought it was a much better card than than we all expected. I think it, as I said on, on Sunday on Keyboard Kimura, it really exceeded the low expectations that people had for it. It felt like another one of those cards that made me think we're just too negative about stuff and we prejudge everything beforehand. I know people say, yeah, but it was still a bad card on paper, but it played out like a great card. And we've seen great cards on paper play out poorly. So maybe we need to just stop trying to assign grades and forecasting what these cards are going to look like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks out, and just let them play out and and judge them once they're done. But we could spend an entire show talking about those type of things, but we have a lot of big news and a lot of big topics to sort of touch on. So I want to get into it, starting obviously with the biggest news that came today. UFC President Dana White 
announcing on The Herd with Colin Cowherd that she's back. Ronda Rousey will return December 30th at UFC 207 in Las Vegas to take on Amanda Nunes for the women's bantamweight title, the belt belt that she lost to Holly Holm last November in Australia. It has been passed around a couple of times since then. I guess the first one is just, is this the right fight for the UFC to make for the women's bantamweight title? Is Ronda getting that shot the correct decision? Um, You know what? It is. It is. And, I, and it is only because of who Ronda Rousey is. And it is a decision that's based on her resume. It's based on her star power. It's based on all those things. Um, I think that, you know, outside of Conor McGregor, she's still, you know, the biggest star in the game. Arguably, you know, she she has more mainstream appeal. Uh, hasn't been in the public eye as much recently. But, I mean, when there's a Ronda Rousey fight, people are interested in seeing that fight. And, and people will tune in. And this thing is going to sell out. I mean, Ronda's still a huge, huge star. And this is a, the, the comeback fight. I mean, I don't think that I could see it going down any other way besides her getting, you know, a title that she held for, you know, a title shot at a title that she held so long, you know. The the fight with Holly Holm, I think, you know, that people will not forget that. But at the same time, enough time has passed that, you know, I, I think that people are ready and excited to see Ronda Rousey again and see what she can do and see how she looks after that performance. You know, it, it has been a while since she's fought and, you know, over a year. And, uh... I mean, a lot has happened in that time. You know, the the, the belt has shifted hands a, a few times and went from Holly Holm to Misha Tate and now Amanda Nunes. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, as much as, uh, you know, someone like Juliana Pena, who we'll talk about a little later. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll get to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can complain about, you know, it not being right. I think, you know, it is the right move. I mean, from every perspective, you know, from – the perspective of the UFC to make money off this fight, that's a, that's a huge thing as well. And, you know, Ronda's going to bring a ton of eyes. And, you know, from a matchup perspective, I think it's a great matchup for Ronda Rousey as well to test herself against another, you know, good striker. Can she get past a, a very dangerous elite-level striker uh, like Amanda Nunes? She got exposed by Holly, obviously very different styles. But, you know, there's a lot of interesting things to, to look at with this fight coming up. I do think it's the right move by the UFC. Um, you know, this is a woman who was downright dominant in her run as as the women's bantamweight champion. There was nobody like her. There still is nobody like her. And I'm excited to see her fight again. The smartass in me wants to look at all the people that are critical of Ronda returning and getting an immediate title shot and say, well, look, the UFC promised it to her. And you guys always say that the UFC has to make good on some of these promises. So they're making good on a promise. The realist in me agrees with everything you said about Ronda Rousey's star power, um, her mainstream appeal, the the pull that she has. There is no bigger fight, regardless of rankings, recent results, whether she's been in the public eye over the last 12 months or not. There is no bigger fight in this division than Ronda Rousey coming back and fighting for the title. And while... 
Juliana Pena and some other people probably can make a case for being next in line, Valentina Shevchenko among them. This is the fight to make. The UFC has shown over the last two years that it's not necessarily about who has earned that opportunity and and things aren't equitable. Jose Aldo certainly has more to complain about as another champion who has dominated and lost their title returns and gets a shot while he's still waiting to fight Conor McGregor again. But this is absolutely the right move. Ronda Rousey is going to bring eyes whenever she comes back. The other part of it is, is if she happens to lose, if this turns out to be her last fight, you don't want to, you don't want to have her come back and not fight for the title because on the off chance that she loses and that she is dominated again and decides, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I'm out of here. You want to maximize your return from her being back. And so this is the way to do it. This is a card that should draw a lot of eyeballs. It'll be interesting to see what they pair with it going forward because it is an opportunity. Dana set on, on the herd with Colin Coward. Ronda absolutely wants that cyborg fight. And that's definitely what'll happen next. If she beats Amanda Nunez. Well, if that's the case, get cyborg on this card, have her be the co-main event so that all these people that are interested in seeing Ronda return can see cyborg and get exposed to her. If they haven't been already, that's what I would like to see. I think it is the right decision. But I also understand some of the complaints. And and we mentioned earlier, sort of the chief one in there is Juliana Pena, who has said all along since her vic- her last victory over Kat Zingano at UFC 200 that she thinks it's bullshit that Ronda Rousey is going to come back and get a title shot. She said that today with Danny Segura of MMA Fighting. Um, talked about maybe I'll just leave. Kambache wants to give me a belt. The UFC gave Ronda a belt. They want to give me a belt. Maybe I'll just do that. I get her frustrations, but at the same time, and I wonder if you agree with me on this, sit down, Juliana Pena. Fight Valentina Shevchenko. Mm-hmm. Stop thinking that you're going to jump to the head of the... You're going to get an opportunity ahead of Ronda Rousey, who dominated this division, as you said, for from its inception until last November, you're not getting a fight before she is. So simmer down. Yeah. I mean, in the words of the great DJ Khaled, you know, congratulations, you played yourself because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do understand the, uh, the frustration and, and from her point of view, it's, you know, it's merited and, and, you know, she's beaten the the right, you know, opponents to, to earn a, a title shot, you know, Jessica I and Kat Zingano, obviously that was the big one at UFC 200, as you mentioned, um, you know, she, ha- she has done enough, I think, you know, in, in most people's eyes to, to earn a title shot, but there's no way in hell you're getting one ahead of Ronda Rousey. And it doesn't matter, you know, if Ronda Rousey took two years off, if she took three years off, you know, she's still, a gigantic name in this in this industry and one that you're just simply not going to you know outshine you're not gonna um bring more you know business to the ufc if you're you know if you're not ronda rousey in that division honestly she is the number one star by a long shot and one of the you know most recognizable uh mixed martial artists overall so i think that you know 
it, it might have been a little bit of wishful thinking on Penny's part that, you know, okay, maybe Ronda won't come back and then I can get that title shot. But I think that deep down, even if she didn't admit it, you know, I think that she knew that if Ronda Rousey came back, there was no chance that the UFC was going to go, hmm, we have this gigantic superstar here. Let's go with the Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes title fight in Vegas. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. For a lot of different reasons, I mean, you know, it, it might make sense from a competitive standpoint, but there's time for Juliana Pena to get a title shot. It just won't happen in December. Yeah, her best opportunity was if the UFC tried to move very quickly coming out of UFC 200 and do another title fight if, let's say, Ronda wasn't coming back this year. Then that was going to be an opportunity for her. The timelines worked out well. Amanda Nunes was smart. She came out right away and said, this is the fight I want. If Ronda's not coming back, then I'll do something else. But that's what I want to do. That's the fight that makes sense. That's the money fight, all of those things. And as much as, look, I I 100% agree that Juliana Pena has done enough in terms of what she's done in the cage to merit an opportunity. But we've seen time and again in the UFC that People that have done enough to merit opportunities don't always get them right away and have to keep fighting. I understand why she wouldn't want to keep fighting and jeopardize her position in line and her winning streak and all of those things. But at a certain point, you have to be realistic with yourself and realistic in terms of your career. And are you going to get that shot or are they going to wait and see what Ronda Rousey does? And the answer is going to be the second one. And so you need to make the decision for you. Okay, am I going to be salty about this, dig my toes in and not fight? Or do I believe in my skills and do I want to take that sort of, you know, the Conor McGregor approach of I'll fight whatever dudes you keep putting in front of me because ultimately I'm going to beat them all and I'll get to where I want to go. I understand why you don't necessarily want to do that if you're Juliana Pena. But you look at a guy like Max Holloway that has just continually done that to the point that now there's a groundswell of support for him where it's, this is a guy that needs to get fighting. Never mind what's happening between Conor McGregor in that division. Max Holloway is a guy that people now feel sympathetic for. And Juliana Pena, as you said, sort of the DJ Khaled thing, kind of overplayed her hand because people aren't at that sympathetic stage for her yet. She started barking about a title shot before everybody was in her corner, and it seems to have backfired. I don't know whether she will actually try to get out of her contract, try to go to Kambache or anything like that. But it does bring us to sort of the next topic that we texted about in setting this up, which is just the general sort of upswell of frustrated fighters in the UFC right now. Obviously, today we had Juliana Pena's reaction to the Ronda Rousey news. We've had Jose Aldo over the past couple of weeks talking about wanting to get out of his contract. There were stories out today saying Jose Aldo is willing to throw his last fight just to get out of his contract, which is crazy talk. If you're a fighter, you should... I mean, look, even if he said it and he meant it sort of in that half-joking way, don't ever say crap like that because it's going to make everybody suspicious if you happen to go out and lose don't do that to yourself. Don't disrespect your career and your legacy like that. But we do have this swell of fighters now. Ally Aquinta. Joe Duffy is is looking to explore his options and didn't re-sign his contract. Um, 
there's just a bunch of people that are kind of starting to Anderson Silva, <laughs> Anderson Silva saying he feels disrespected. There's a bunch of fighters starting to voice their frustrations and disappointments with the UFC. My question to you is, do you think this is something the new ownership will look at and try to remedy? Or will they say, well, we're still doing pretty good without you dudes. So continue being as angry as you want. Sit out for as long as you want, because we're not going to release you. Go ahead and spend your money to get out of your contracts. We are going to be okay. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of saltiness, you know, uh, continue to go around in, in the next little while. Because I do think that, you know, the new ownership group is, you know, looking at it from a, you know, slightly different perspective than the old ownership group. You know, the, the Fertitta brothers, I think they, you know, uh, ran the UFC a little bit differently than the vision these guys now have, you know, um, for the UFC. I think that that's, you know, becoming evident in a lot of ways, you know, uh, how they're kind of uh, stacking up these cards as well and, and how everything's playing out for the, you know, remainder of this year specifically. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of that has to do, you know, with them having such close ties to, you know, the entertainment business and, that they want to provide, you know, entertainment to the fans. And unfortunately, a guy that is as great, you know, as a Jose Aldo, he's not, you know, very entertaining in terms of, you know, what he brings outside of the octagon, you know. And part of the the difficulty in this business is getting people to watch what you do inside of the octagon. If nobody is interested in what you do outside of it, then they're not very likely to kind of tune in to see what you do inside of it. And that's a fact. And if, you know, it doesn't matter how great of a fighter you are, if you aren't doing something, you know, on the outside to get people interested, people aren't going to tune in. And I mean, you know, being a dominant fighter, definitely, you know, it helps your cause and being, you know, one of these kind of scary fighters like a Robbie Lawler or someone like that, you know, it definitely, uh, helps your cause when you go inside the octagon and, you know, cause destruction in that way. But at the end of the day, you know, if you aren't a type of person that people can connect with on some level or can be entertained by, you know, like I said, outside of the octagon, if you're not doing anything to make people invested in you as a fighter, then I, I don't think that, you know, those kind of fighters are, are going to be successful. And I think that the new ownership recognizes that. You know, a guy like a Conor McGregor, obviously, is way more valuable to the company than someone like a Jose Aldo. Unfortunately, you know, whether or not, you know, Jose Aldo is a phenomenal fighter, that's not the question here. The question is, what does he bring to the table, you know, in terms of entertainment value? And, you know, unfortunately, that is part of the game, you know. And, well, and we it, thought, it, it's not know, even what he brings to the table in terms of entertainment value, because I think anybody that watches this sport and cares about this sport will agree that Jose Aldo is a wildly entertaining fighter. It's even more so about what he brings in terms of viewership and in terms of pay-per-view buys and gate box office receipts and those things. And that's where a guy like Jose Aldo falls short. That's where a guy like Ally Aquinta, who is a hell of a fighter and a rising lightweight, but doesn't have that cachet yet necessarily to merit the U. I mean, the UFC just let Rory McDonald walk a year after he was in what Dana White called the best fight he's ever seen. So if that doesn't tell you something, 
as fighters, I don't, I like, I'm here. I am at a loss for words. Like that to me should be the point that everybody's looking at. The interesting thing to me will be whether this new ownership group decides to take on some of these challenges and talk to some of these fighters and work with them to get them back because it is becoming a bunch of guys that a bunch of fighters that are, are integral, not integral in that they're champions, but have upside and have potential and that, you know, you do want in the organization, you don't necessarily, you're not going to lose. The UFC isn't going to crumble if Ally Aquinta doesn't fight ever again, but the UFC is better for having Ally Aquinta in it. He makes more entertaining fights in the lightweight division than another regional guy that gets a shot to fill his spot. Part of it that will be interesting to see going into next year is if they reduce the number of fights that they're holding or events that they're holding. Therefore, they don't need to have as many people on the roster. That could be a factor as well. But I don't think it's so much about the entertainment value that that fighters deliver or how entertaining they are in the cage. It's to me it's right now, it's strictly a dollars and cents thing. And it's going to be interesting to see if the people that just pumped in $4.2 billion to buy the UFC are interested in playing more of a long-term game when it comes to recouping that money and making that money back. Or if it's, we need to just focus on getting that 4.2 back and then we'll deal with things because if it's, just get that money back. These people that are digging in their toes are going to have a long stay on the sidelines. Right. I mean, and I think that, you know, when I say, you know, entertainment value, I mean, you know, sort of when you look at kind of Jose Aldo and specifically, you know, before that Conor McGregor fight, you know, a lot of people weren't checking for Jose Aldo in terms of you know, obviously the hardcore MMA fans always tuned into Jose Aldo fights, but, you know, to gain that mainstream audience, that was something that he wasn't able to do. And that was something that he wouldn't have been able to do no matter what, I think, on his own. You know, Connor definitely propelled him into a position, you know, whether he likes to, you know, admit it or not, propelled him into a position that now... A lot of a lot more people know who Jose Aldo is based on who Conor McGregor is, and I feel that you know this new ownership, uh, it, it seems to be more about the big business aspect of it and the focus on guys like Conor McGregor, the focus on someone like a Ronda Rousey, that seems to be more where it's headed as opposed to focusing on guys who are great fighters. And, you know, guys who can bring stuff, you know, uh, bring a lot of, uh, you know, skill and talent to the organization, but they can't bring, you know, viewership to the organization in the same way that someone as entertaining as Conor McGregor. Yeah, and and that's going to be the thing. And it's unfortunate because there's going to be so many people that it just the comparison and sort of that measuring stick is always seems like it's going to end up being Connor, which isn't fair, which isn't a way that it should be. Um, but, but sadly that's kind of how things are getting measured in a lot of cases. And, and for guys like Ally Aquinta and even Jose Aldo, who is an absolute legend when you don't bring in the eyeballs, when you don't do the pay-per-view buys and the box office receipts that some of these other stars do, you're viewed as expendable. So it's going to be interesting to see if, if these guys get bought out, if they get let go, if they just get released and and how all of this plays out, definitely something that I'm sure we'll be talking about 
again in the future. It's the Keyboard Kamara Podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite, Patrick Schwicklinski. Getting through some of the, the news of the week, I guess, for, for lack of a better way of putting it. And one of the other big stories this week, um, Dana White sort of added on to it today in his appearance on the herd earlier in the week. The Nevada Athletic Commission fined Conor McGregor $150,000 and a bunch of community service. And he's got to film a PSA for them for his part in the bottle throwing incident at the UFC 202 press conference. And then today, Dana White says he got a text from Conor McGregor saying he never wants to fight in Nevada again because of because of this fine. Let's start with the amount and just the procedure of the Nevada Athletic Commission. And I'm laughing because it's it's just a joke. It's a cra- it's a crazy setup. But what were your thoughts on that part? And then what are your thoughts on the Dana gets a tweet from Fighter X that says why? Do you believe him? Do you think we see Conor McGregor fight Nevada at some point in 2017? Well, I mean, first of all, I think that the $150,000 fine I agree with you, I mean, it's it's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, for for what, you know, uh, you know, took place and you compare it to obviously, you know, in in your mind you want to compare it to what happened between John Jones and Daniel Cormier, the big scuffle at the MGM Grand and, you know, their punishment I think John Jones got like $50,000 fine and Daniel Cormier was saying on, you know, the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani that he got like $3,500 for a full on, you know, fist fight in the lobby of a hotel. And, you know, Conor McGregor is getting fined $150,000 for his part in a water bottle throwing incident or whatever, a monster can, whatever it is that he actually threw there. It's stupid, man. I mean, like, uh, it, it doesn't make, you know, a whole ton of sense to me that he's getting, you know, this harshly punished for it. Yeah, I understand that, you know, it was in poor taste, but I mean, give the guy a stern warning, give him maybe some kind of smaller fine if you really want to. $150,000 seems excessive. Um, well, and, it, and the funny part is that they started at a lower number and they found a way to just ratchet it up as this. Dude. As this thing played out, listen, Conor McGregor and Nathan Diaz in his camp, who will, I believe, sit before them at the next meeting, deserve some kind of fine. That was absolute nonsense that happened. It could have been very dangerous if somebody did get hit. Thankfully, it didn't go beyond them being jackasses at the Copperfield Theater. The part that really made me laugh was the like, well, look you're going to have to do this PSA for us and we want it to look good. And Pat Lundvall up there sort of selling why this fine. I mean, she wanted to find him $300,000. Of course, Connor does what Connor does and comes out and says, I get fined more than these bums get paid. It's a pretty good tweet. I definitely chuckled. It's just ridiculous. One of the funny things to me is, is following it and sort of tracking it on Twitter and seeing everybody's, reaction that this is preposterous look this is the nevada athletic commission none of this should be surprising anymore they wanted to throw the book at nick diaz last time out when he had a very good proper legal defense he showed up ready to argue all of his points they said mr middlebrooks mr diaz this isn't a court but we're going to suspend you for five years they got that figured out but like 
I'm not surprised by these antics anymore. I'm not surprised by this craziness anymore. I don't understand why people are and why they, they get nuts about it. I think it's bullshit. I think it's dangerous and reckless, but it's not surprising. And so the fines, the fines ridiculous. The whole process of it is ridiculous. It's just completely arbitrary and, and something needs to be done, but I'm not going to sit here in, in absolute shock that the Nevada Athletic Commission did something stupid again, because that's what the Nevada Athletic Commission does. <laughs> and I mean, as, as far as, you know, Connor saying that he's not going to fight in Nevada again, I mean, I would stand by that if I was Connor McGregor, because he's the guy doing millions of dollars of business for that state and and boosting their, you know, economy. I mean, I would stand by that. Why does he need to fight in in Nevada again? Why does he need to fight in Las Vegas again? If you know, it doesn't matter where Connor fights at this point, I think. I think we've established that Connor could fight, you know, in the middle of New Mexico on a field and people would probably tune in to watch. I mean, the the fact is that Las Vegas needs Conor McGregor more than Conor McGregor needs Las Vegas. So I I think that... And that's the funny part about the fine is that you could feel as it was happening and as they were trying to ratchet up how how much money they were going to get from this guy. And and they're sort of looking at him and thinking, well, this guy makes a lot of money. If we fine him 10%, we get more than if we fine him 5%. Let's, Let's get a lot out of him. Connor has already said that he doesn't want, like, that he would like to fight on the East Coast more. That's the other part of today's news that everybody was like, whoa, Connor's not going to fight. Look, he's been saying this for a year. He's growing tired of making those trips. He recognizes that it makes him the most money, but he's at a point where it's like, how many more millions do I need to make? Would I rather fight in now in New York or in Boston, where it's a shorter trip for the Irish fans. It's a shorter trip for me as a fighter. I mean, he could also fight in California, where apparently he's, he's taken up residence, as we found out at that, at that meeting as well. And so it just seemed like a cutting off your nose to spite your face situation from the jump. So today's announcement of Connor doesn't want to fight there again, not a big surprise to me. And I'm with you. Stick to it. You don't need you don't need Las Vegas. New York just opened up. It is the media media capital of the world. You can make just as much money, if not more, fighting there. It's a shorter trip for him coming from Ireland. There's there's other options, and it feels like the Nevada Athletic Commission cost themselves a whole whack of money by imposing this fine. Keyboard Kimura Podcast, Province Sports Radio, Patrick Shriklinski. I see I screwed up the name and I'm catching myself on it. My apologies. Oh, all right. You're doing great. Patrick and ESK talking about the events of the week. Get to our last one. Another of the Wednesday announcements, as there always seem to be plenty of. The Fox card in Sacramento in December got its headliner. Team Alpha Males, Paige Van Zant against Michelle Watterson. Uh, former Invicta champion, longtime Team Jackson wink fighter, making her return off of a knee injury. When I texted you and we were setting this up, I think I said something along the lines of main event question mark. To me, this is surprising to me as a main event. I get the Paige Van Zant allure. I get that. And look, we were in Vancouver. I believe she is a superstar. I believe there are 
opportunities there for her to become a bigger star. But I don't know if she's main event on Fox yet. What were your thoughts when you heard this announcement just about the main event part? Because as a fight, I think this is a great fight. Yeah, it's a it's it's a dope fight. I mean, I, I totally agree. It's um it's definitely the right I think next step for for Paige Van Zant to get a fight against you know a, a very tough veteran in in Michelle Waterson and someone who you know um definitely has a style that you know Paige can you know um, exploit in some ways I think uh, and and pose some some you know solid challenges to to Michelle Waterson but I think that um, as far as the main event aspect of this, I was scratching my head a bit too, man. And I had deja vu of when, you know, she was the main event, not on a, not on a full on Fox card, but the Nami Yunus Van Zant card back in December, 2015. We obviously know how that ended, uh, with, you know, Rose, uh, choking page out in that fifth round, obviously, you know, a, a, a very tough fight and page showed a lot of, you know, grit and, and a lot of you know poise in that in that fight despite everything, but I think that it felt like a too much too soon kind of situation where Rose was at compared to where you know Paige was at at the time. Obviously, Paige had some solid wins under her belt, but you know to get that step up in competition against Rose with all that you know extra you know um, obligation of being a main event, that's a tough position to be in. I feel like that right now you know. Uh, she's definitely grown a lot, you know, since that fight with Rose and we got to see, you know, a lot of that when we were in Vancouver in August, um, the Beck Rawlings fight, she, she looked fantastic out there, but I do, you know, scratch my head a little bit about, you know, uh, given how many other, you know, team alpha male guys, maybe you could have put into that UFC Sacramento mix. It would have been nice maybe to see one of those guys, you know, um, compete if they were going to compete on this card. I'm not sure. But, um, it, you know, for, for Paige, it is a good opportunity, obviously, to, to remain in that public eye and kind of, you know, build her name some more. But I do, you know, worry it's, it's one of those situations where, again, it's a lot of pressure. You're in your hometown. You're the main event in your hometown. You've got a lot of people looking at you coming off a performance where, you know, you smoked, you know, Beck Rawlings, people are expecting a lot. It just feels like there's a lot of, you know, things kind of in the way of Paige and actually just fighting. You know, there's a lot of these things kind of, um, you know, in her road that, you know, might have an effect on her mentally a little bit. And, I, you know, I know she's a really tough, you know, tough fighter mentally. Uh, she's shown that in the past, but... It is a tough situation to be in, I think. For her, uh, it's it's going to be a lot about, you know, seeing what... I, I think this fight is, is a lot about, just like I said, I mean, it's about the mentality that she comes in with. I think that's the big thing for me in this fight. Um, Michelle Watterson is a tough opponent, but I think this is more of a fight where we get to see how Paige reacts on that stage again. And I think this time it's going to be with a lot more eyes. And, and that's going to be the difficult part for her if she can kind of rise to the occasion um, in that setting. And we'll, we'll get to see that, you know, uh, in Sacramento. I think she'll be fine in terms of, of handling the responsibilities of being the main event. We saw it out here. Yes, she wasn't the main event, but she kind of curtailed a lot of her 
exposure and a lot of her appearances during the week. She was very short at the open workouts because she wanted to be focused on her weight cut and that process and those those sorts of things. And so I think we'll see some of that. Obviously, main event, you have obligations, you have to be at stuff. Um, but they will probably dial it back a little bit. It is a Fox show. They've been to Sacramento before, so there's not the same brand new market expectations in terms of media. I like keeping Paige Van Zant on Fox. I think it is the right platform for her to get her out there in front of as many eyes as possible to get that Dancing with the Stars audience that is still following her to not have to shell out 50 bucks for a pay-per-view to see her fight. You just flip on Fox on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening on the East Coast and you get to see her. For me, the, the question marks or the puzzling element of this is twofold. One, I don't know if Paige Van Zant is a big enough name yet and a big enough star yet to be a headliner on Fox. I think this is a little bit too soon. It it makes me leery of what else is going to be behind this fight on this card. Is she going to be ahead of some more established names? And like you said, were there some other options that maybe you could have with them being the co-main event where they still have a lot of those media responsibilities and a lot of that exposure, but not all of it. The other part is, I like the matchup, but Michelle Watterson has been out since her July 2015 win over Angela Magana in her UFC debut. She's coming off a knee injury. She is absolutely a marketable fighter. She is absolutely a talented fighter, as I mentioned earlier, former Invicta FC Atomweight champion. But she's not someone that casual fans and that the sort of Fox viewing public has any familiarity with. And so you're going to be using that platform to basically introduce somebody. And I get that in terms of if that fight was, you know, where where Paige's fight with Beck Rawlings was out here in Vancouver in the three spot. Or if this is the co-main event, like I said, but from a main event perspective, you've got an up-and-coming young fighter that is still in those developmental stages and a complete unknown to a lot of people, even people that didn't fo- haven't followed the UFC or just strictly followed the UFC, I should say. And so that part is going to be interesting to me. They're going to do a bang-up job between now and fight night in promoting this and doing media for it. Both are extremely well-spoken and poised in front of the camera. They know how to handle those responsibilities. So I'm not concerned about that side of things. I just wonder if this is maybe, as you said, that one step too far too soon again for Paige Van Zant. When you've just got her back in the cage, she's got a great victory. She's still just 22 years old. Give her an opportunity to continue building and, and not maybe throw her into one a super dangerous fight against a very talented fighter and two, a fight that maybe doesn't resonate as much as these opportunities should. And so those are the things I'm looking for. Those are the things that I'll be interested to see when that fight and that card comes around in December, but we've got a lot between now and then, which will give us a lot to talk about on this show. But for now, that's it. We're good. We're done for Wednesday, October 12th. As I mentioned to you off air, my mom is here. It's the first time I've seen her in, I think, two years. So I'm going to dip and go and spend some time with her before we do. Patty, we don't have any predictions for the next month. So while, while we're not doing a lot 
on Keyboard Kimura in terms of you and I and, and our predictions. Tell people how to continue to to stay up to date on all things Sneakerhead Patty. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, follow me on Twitter at Pat Triglinski. So that's at P-A-T-C-W-I-K-L-I-N-S-K-I. Uh, you can give me a follow on Instagram as well. Same same handle. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it's it's always uh, uh, kind of a depressing moment when I don't have picks that are coming up and I'm behind in the, uh, you know, punch drunk predictions, uh, competition, but, uh, it gives you a month to study and prepare. (laughs) I told, I told you over text that I'm picking strictly underdogs. We'll see if I stick to that (laughs) when November comes. Uh, it might be some weird picks. If Uh, you're going to lose, lose big. (laughs) Yeah, might as well. Hey, face plant. But, uh, yeah, you know, tune in. We'll have some more stuff for sure. Um, down the pipeline uh, coming up in, in November, I'm, I'm sure. And uh, make sure to tune in to Keyboard Kimura. Follow us, you know, and then keep your keep your ear to the street. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. You can catch all of my stuff. There may not be predictions, but we will keep on pumping out the content. You can follow me on social media at Spencer Kite. Follow at Keyboard Kimura and at Province Sports as well. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of those good places. Leave us a review if you like. One star if we suck. Five stars if we're awesome. Somewhere in between if we are somewhere in between. We thank you for listening. As always, be good to one another. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.